on GDC Podcast Episode 6, we've got artist, designer, marketer, and brazen overachiever Gabby Darienzo. I almost messed that up, of Drinkbox Studios to talk art, creativity, death, and more. Also stay tuned for exciting GDC 2020 news, including our State of the Industry report, and help us find out where Alyssa went. Back in a sec. Oh, hold on one second. Hey, cats. Hey everybody, this is Chris Graft, Editor-in-Chief of Gama Sutra, and I am here with not Alyssa Macklin. I'm here with uh, Alex. Alex, can you introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Alex. I'm not Alyssa Macklin, but for today at least, I'll do my best. That's too much information. Mm. So we're just going to leave it there. So um, Alyssa isn't here. Uh, Alex, we're privy to her whereabouts, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I think she's at lunch. <laughs> No. No. She is in a high noise situation. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds rough. That yeah, whole her apartment thing being sounds... recited. Mm. Yeah. It's <laughs> you can't really do that when there's hammers uh just burying themselves into the side of your building. You can't really podcast. I yeah. Mean, you could. <laughs> if it was like the this old house podcast. I mean, well, uh, if she could be podcasting, then why? what are we doing here? I would much rather hear her side of the story. I'd much rather hear a podcast from deep within the bunker that is Alyssa McAloon's uh, yeah. apartment. Yeah, just the uh, hammering and the, the jackhammering, yeah. the scraping, um, yeah. uh, all the ambient sounds of a, ho- of a house being sighted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's what so. we should move GDC next year. <laughs> <laughs> of GDC 2020. That's the segue. You mentioned GDC. GDC 2020 is coming up. That's taking place March 16th to 20th. Mm-hmm. Uh, registration is open at gdconf.com. That's, That's right. like, uh, it's, it's now um, two podcasts away, one podcast away. Yeah, man. How are you feeling about it? I feel like GDC is going to be pretty solid this year. We just announced the Death Stranding talk. We got a bunch of other cool stuff coming up. I'm like, I'm starting to warm up to this year's uh, uh, smorgasbord of content on offer. Yeah, you've really been using the word smorgasbord a lot like, lately, well, and I approve. I'm Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that was a Swedish thing. Yeah, man. I'm very U.S.-centric here. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's not only any uh, Death Stranding talk. It's Hideo Kojima. Um, he's going to be talking about... Uh, the game where you deliver the packages about strands about strand games mm-hmm. we're talking about themes and of connection how to express that through game design it's gonna be a banger i tell you what so don't miss it it's also gonna be about death which is what we're gonna talk about kind of in this podcast too mm. we'll mention death we won't dwell on it i mean we might i don't know about 40 minutes into every podcast if you're a frequent listener you know that things get super existential really um, yeah it does this alex hasn't time. listened to any of the podcast yet but mm. that's okay I'll prepare um, accordingly. <laughs> there's also going to be a talk about the level design of Outer Wilds. Oh, uh, right. That's, yeah. That's really cool. <sighs> that game, man. That game's something else. It is something else. There's also the uh, the Goose game. That's going to be... There's going to be a talk on the Goose game. Oh, yeah. So game. something I didn't know, and I don't know if anybody listening knows this, when you go check out our talk on the level design summit about Untitled Goose game, it's about how they scouted the locations using... Uh, like film scouting techniques. It's really fascinating. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I wonder if they brought a goose to the scouting locations and just kind of <laughs> let it do whatever it wants. And you know. They probably got a goose to do the scouting, honestly. Who would know better? Yeah. Does the goose like this farm area? Hmm. Honk once for yes, <laughs> twice for no. In my experience, geese don't really like anything. Uh yeah, they don't. Mm. It's true. Uh, also, we did announce um, the uh, nominees for the Game Developers Choice Awards. Uh, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, Death Stranding is leading that. Mm-hmm. And then there's also uh, the finalists for the Independent Games Festival Awards. And you can see all those on, uh, I guess, uh, I don't have the, uh, I have the URL in front of me, but I'm not going to read it out. No. But you can Google it. It's more fun. It's a game to so go find it for yourself. 
It is. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. It so, might also be um, in the show notes, too. No promises. <laughs> we do have a guest, though, now that we got all the, uh, the morning announcements out of the way. <laughs> um, she's lurking in the background currently. Uh, as of now, uh, currently, she is the art director of the Toronto-based uh, Drinkbox Studios, which you might know from Guacamelee is one of the games they did. Uh, she was previously the art director and co-founder of Laundry Bear Games, where she worked on the IGA, I, IGF finalist, uh, A Mortician's Tale, Death. <laughs> <laughs> Her credits uh, also include Super Crush, KO, Parkitect, and the wonderful Celeste. Uh, she has uh, spoken at GDC in the past and is also speaking this year at GDC 2020. Hmm. Uh, 2019 Forbes 30 under 30. That's awesome. Nice. And uh, and she's an advocate for, uh, and she's a helpful voice within the game dev community. She's a kind of a, uh, just a really supportive person and advocate. It's great. So uh, let's please welcome Gabby Darienzo. Hey, Gabby. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot. You you were on mute a second ago because uh, I think your cat was having a conniption. Yeah, he's still is he's still why? meowing. So if you hear any kind of like high pitched mews, that's <laughs> that is me. Yeah, we're all about the high pitched mews here mm-hmm. on nice. the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So can you can you tell us a little bit about your background in art and just uh, as an artist in general? Sure. Uh, So my background is actually in graphic design. That's what I studied in school. Um, So I kind of like tangentially got into video games. Um, After I graduated school, I started working on the marketing team for a local game studio here in Toronto, which is where I'm from. And um, when I was working on the marketing team for a little bit, eventually they moved me over to the the game side. So doing art and uh, UI UX design for the game side of the team. And uh, around that time, I also started to get more involved with the indie scene, both here in Toronto and also just online, starting to go to events and stuff and um, taught myself how to use Unity and started teaching myself how to make my own games and how to do 3D modeling and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I started getting a lot of people who uh, reached out asking me to do some freelance work for them. So I I left my full time job at that studio and uh, started freelancing and uh, freelance for like four and a half years <laughs> yeah, and got to work on some really cool projects like Celeste and Parkitect, like you mentioned. And um, also within that four and a half years, I co-founded my own studio, Laundry Bear Games, which is a, a studio I founded with my partner, Andrew Carvalho. We got to make um, A Mortician's Tale, which is like my baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we made that together. And then... Um, yeah, I guess back last September, so like four months ago, however long it's been, um, uh, the people at Drinkbox um, offered me a job. Uh, and that's like, I've wanted to work with them for so long because they work on such cool projects. I'm such a huge fan of Guacamelee and Severed, which yeah. are also really big games about death. That's like <laughs> a, yeah, so thing, a topic I'm very into. And so uh, they reached out, they offered me a job. And so I'm working with them now, which is really exciting. So that's kind of my background and, and how I got that's into great. games. And, We're going to hit like every know. single one of those things that you talked about yeah let's do it <laughs> <laughs> now let's let's start with uh being an art director at Drinkbox. Um, so i'm not an art director at Drinkbox. i'm just like a, a senior artist <laughs> a senior okay sorry I, that's okay. all good don't worry Se- senior artist yeah well we we like to give promotions away here nice on the podcast that's that official now. Yeah. yeah so uh what does it mean to be a senior uh like artist there yeah, so uh, the art direction or the art team at Drinkbox is only like four people, and so um, I it's really exciting to be a part of them. For the longest time, while I was freelancing and even at Laundry Bear, I was often the art director on a bunch of different projects, or not even art director, but only like the sole artist on a lot of projects. And so um, it's been a while since I've gone to work with a team that's like over two people. And so working with Drinkbox is really fun because I, I obviously am a big fan of their games. I'm a big fan of their, their artwork. And so being able to work with other artists, especially like an existing art director who's been doing art direction for their games for years is really exciting. Cause so I get to kind of, you know, take a step back from art direction and really learn from them. And I've already, it's only been a few months and I get to learn so much from them. And so it's been a really, really 
really, really good experience. And um, it's great, too, because one of my biggest fears about taking the job with them was like, oh, I'm going from being an art director to, to being just like, you know, a, like a regular artist. And am I going to hate that? Is that going <laughs> to, am I not going to be able to make decisions and stuff? But yeah. the folks at Drinkbox are so lovely and my, my experiences are taken so seriously and they listen to me a lot and I get to make a lot of decisions. So yeah, it's really, it's really cool. Yeah. So I, I think the term senior artist maybe is a bit confusing <laughs> yeah. to some people, but basically I get to do a lot of art and UI and marketing and just a whole bunch of stuff at Drinkbox. That's kind of what my role is now yeah i actually this is i'm so curious i was talking about this with someone else recently this weekend um and i don't know if you can speak to this but you just joined and it sounds like you're really enjoying it and feeling comfortable there and, and learning a lot um can you speak to the onboarding process and what it was like to join up with a with an established studio after sort of doing your own thing for so long i, I talked to a lot of devs who are either really excited or really really nervous about joining a big studio after they've been working on their own for a while. And I never really know what to tell them because I've never done it myself. So I'm curious, like, what was the experience like for you? Yeah, it definitely was a little bit nerve-wracking, um, especially going from working at like a two-person studio and freelancing on a lot of really small teams, right? Like the Celeste team was only like six people and Super Crush is only like three or four people. Like it's very, very small. And so Drinkbox is about 13 people, which isn't drastically bigger, but it is, you know, like they have their own processes and they have you know, an existing team making existing games. So it was a bit nerve wracking, um, but it was quite smooth, right? They're really good about, they're, they, they're really, really organized and have a really good um, production pilot pipeline. Mm-hmm. So coming into the, onto the team, it was like, um, you know, they showed me their tools. Um, they got me onboarded onto the art. Um, I'm pretty, one of my, my, my favorite things to do, and the reason why I love working in indie games especially, is I really love stylized art and um, kind of adapting to other people's styles. Mm-hmm. And so the games we're working on right now um, have like two new styles that I'm not super work, used to working on. And I'm really, really, really excited to, to be able to like, make art for them and adapt to them and um yeah i don't know it's been it was pretty smooth is basically what i'm trying to say that was the long answer (laughs) but it was a pretty smooth onboarding process and yeah it didn't didn't take very long for me to feel very comfortable and um i think probably the the weirdest thing is like having a schedule and routine again because when you're freelancing for so long it's like oh yeah i can I can wake up whenever I want and I can like work out of a coffee shop and you know, like it's, you you get very used to running your own schedule and doing your own thing. And when you work at a studio, you know, they have their, their own like eight to four, nine to five. And you're like, Oh yeah, okay. I gotta, (laughs) I gotta be there on a certain time and get things done, which is uh, probably a good thing. I think, I think it really is. I thrive underneath schedules. And so it's kind of nice to to have that again after so many years of not having that. Um, I think a lot of, creative people are, are like that, uh, which is why I kind of want to talk about. It's interesting. You went from full-time studio and then you did freelance for a number of years. And then now you're going back. Uh, can you tell me what it was like, uh, you know, that life as an artist that is taking contract work? Uh, what are some of the ways that you, for people who are out there who are either trying to break into freelancing or current freelancers, who want to stay freelancers and even those freelancers who want to maybe pivot into full time. Can you talk about your experiences as a freelancer? What are some of the ways that you survived that kind of life? And, uh, and how did you end up leveraging that, leveraging that into a, a full time position? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is a lot of people don't think about this when they want to do freelance, but, um, it's like, 20% just admin and accounting, right? You're not just doing 100% of the time doing fun art or game design or programming or writing or whatever it is that you're doing freelance. It's like you have to, you're, you're basically running a business. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of your time is spent responding to emails and uh, doing accounting, but it's also things like self-marketing, um, you know, like putting yourself out there on social media, going to events, making sure your portfolio is always stocked with pieces. And if you have a slow period with work, making sure that you use that time to find more work or fill your your portfolio with pieces that will help you get more work. It's like, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think if you are a person who is maybe um, not keen on that, then freelancing might not be, might not be a thing you're interested in doing, but I love that stuff. <laughs> I love marketing. I love I love running business. This is like one of the things I enjoyed about running Laundry Bear as well. And so for me, it was like a lot of, of that kind of stuff. And so I think a lot of it too is like networking. I hate the term networking. It feels really, 
business professional and that seems like such a contrast to what we do in games but um essentially just like making friends you know going to events and being social on the internet and just making friends and then when people are like oh you know we need an extra artist on a thing or we need to hire someone to do a logo they think of you and that's like how i got a lot of my work when i was freelancing um that's how i started working once i became friends with the celeste developers long 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 time ago when they were working on towerfall and so when they were looking for another artist they were like oh yeah gabby let's just hire her and so i think um anybody who's interested in freelancing that's like a big thing i recommend is just like you know making friends just getting friendly and you don't have to like go to events and shove business cards at people necessarily. <laughs> yeah. And like I advise against that probably, but like, you know, just making friends and, and um, putting yourself out there and like goes a long way. Um, if that's something you're comfortable with doing. And then um, I think just like the experience of uh, making so much art, <laughs> both professionally, like both from freelance projects and also just on the side doing my own thing um, that helped really build up my portfolio. And, you know, it's, full of a lot of really impressive games and impressive pieces that really, really helped me get this job at Drinkbox and I think would help. Um, I think that, that that was a big thing that like, yeah, would probably help a lot of artists if they're looking to exit freelance life is just, <laughs> yeah. you know, building up your portfolio. And the, yeah. uh, do you think that in particular, like the indie dev community and this is why i respect you know what you're doing like when i was internet stalking you for research uh (laughs) for this i like one of the you know you're known as an artist but i think like one of the first if not the first result from you was a video of a talk that you gave at an indie uh conference about marketing about a mortician's tale about niche marketing yeah yeah uh, that was for Full Indie Summit, I think, two years ago, last year, mm-hmm. which is like an event based in Vancouver. Um, and that's like not a thing that like I do professionally. Like I would never, um, yeah. you know, choose to work somewhere as like a marketer per se, or freelance marketing. Like I don't think <laughs> mm-hmm. that is the thing that I am best at and or want to do full time. Um, but I think a lot of it comes from like my background in graphic design and marketing and like the, my first job was in marketing for games as well. It kind of just like, it ingrains things in you that you can't help but think about. Um, and when you are um, self-marketing yourself as a freelancer, but also you know running your own business and making your own indie games, I think that's a huge part of it. Is, mm-hmm. And something that people don't really think about is marketing yourself. And um, I know I listened to one of your episodes, uh, was it? Hannah Flynn? Yeah. From, yeah, I listened to that today about marketing and like was just nodding my head vigorously like, that yes, was, yes, yeah, was a great excellent. Talk. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of the stuff that she told us um, about marketing uh, for, uh, Hannah Flynn is a marketing director at Fail Better Games. Uh, they did Sunless Skies uh, for people who don't know. But uh, one of the things that the good marketers with successful games, they say market early. Like start yes. right from the top. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that and how you did that with the Mortician's Tale. Yeah. Um, so Mortician's Tale was a game that I started thinking about back in like 2015. And it was just like an idea. And, I, you know, this is a subject matter that's like very close to me and a thing I'm really interested in. And so um, I remember right from the beginning when I started to prototype things, and, you know, started to share it on the Internet and share it with people um, and started to get some kind of interest and traction. And, and you're, a fu- you're a, sorry, you're, you're a funeral director in this game, right? Oh yeah, sorry. I, I yeah. guess I should explain what the game is. <laughs> sure, yeah. So for anybody who hasn't played a Mortician's Tale, um, uh, it is a uh, 3D narrative-driven game where you play as a mortician running a funeral home. Um, it sounds really, really like gloomy and doomy, but it's actually quite soft and like very, very sensitive and brightly colored. And um, you know, you kind of uh, it's it's very short, but you kind of go through the story of um, the funeral home and how it evolves over time. Uh, and you also get to see kind of the stories between each of the different the bodies you take care of. Um, we released that uh, back in like 2017 and it won a bunch of awards and was nominated for an IGF award. I did a GDC talk about it and it was a really, really cool thing to see people excited about this game. Uh, and so, yeah, the I, I started prototyping Mortician's Tale back in 2015. Um, 
And yeah, basically, as soon as people started getting interested in it, it was like, okay, yeah, this is like a real thing that we should actually do. And as soon as my my co-founder and I decided to make it our thing, like a thing we're going to make, um, that's when I started to think about marketing. And that seems like really early for a lot of people. A lot of people, when you, mm-hmm. you say that to them, they're like, really right at the beginning? That's so early, though. Um, and also for a game that is so niche and so small and so indie, like that seems like a really weird thing to think about. But I think it's such an important thing to kind of consider when you're doing your market research is also like, okay, well, you know, how are we going to talk about this game? What is our audience? How are we going to reach them? And um, that was a thing that we didn't have the budget or the capabilities of hiring someone to do this for us. And so I did it myself. It was, you know, I did all the marketing. I did all the social media. We went to events ourselves. Um, we got a little bit of help at the very, very, very end, like a month before we launched the game, just with PR stuff, just like getting someone who has more experience with that to help us reach out to people that we didn't have context for. Um, but yeah, 95% of the marketing was was me. And I think that that's like, you know, a big thing I bring to, um, a big thing I'm excited to bring as well to, to Drinkbox as well is like, you know, I started working with them and I started doing art with them. And then they were also like, oh, you have mm-hmm. a bit of a marketing experience. And I was like, sure do. <laughs> so it's kind of fun to be able to bring that to them as well. And it's a big, like, fun part of being in an indie developer as opposed to working AAA is, like, yeah. being able to wear multiple hats and really enjoying that process. Nice. I think also there's a certain amount of, at least from the devs I speak to, who who talk about, you know, starting in a project early. If you commit to marketing yourself and, and thinking about your demographics and getting the word out there and announcing your project almost, you know, from that first month, then you commit to finishing the project. And that's hard yeah. for some people. Yeah, that's... that's that's totally fair, yeah. <laughs> so kind of segueing back to uh, the artist side of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a general question, but I, I'm curious, what is like a good productive uh, day for you as someone who makes art? What does that look like? Uh, let's see. <laughs> That's a, an interesting question. Um Definitely, like, the way I like to start my day is, and I don't know if everybody does this, but I like doing it, is um, I get to my desk at work, I, like, make a tea, and then I have a bunch of websites I go through, only for, like, five or ten minutes. Like, it's a very, very short part of my day, and I just, like, look through inspiration. And even if that inspiration's not, like, directly tied to the games we're making, it's just kind of a good way to um, fill yourself with creative inspiration, but also kind of just, like, see what's out there and kind of, like, slowly but surely pick up on trends um whether in not even just like from games and game art it's also things like i look at architecture blogs i look at graphic design blogs and i look at like packaging design and like you know like painting and 3d modeling and things that are not really related to what we're doing and it's just like a really good way fashion blah 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 um i don't know it's a kind of like a good way to start my day and it like it helps me feel super inspired and also helps me get motivated to be productive and it's also like yeah like i said like a good way to kind of keep on top of trends and and kind of um, get some ideas for making some interesting game art and so i think that like a good productive day for me starts with that and if i don't get that in i find that like yeah i i I don't do as well (laughs) it's nice to kind of be surrounded by that stuff yeah Um, and then yeah being able to just like go into work and I again I think having a team of people of other artists is has been so excellent for my my uh, mental health (laughs) especially as an artist it's just like having people that you can kind of bounce ideas off of and just kind of um brainstorm things with is is really nice and it's been a while since I've had other artists to do that with professionally and and freelance it like in whatever discipline you're in it's kind of a solo thing a lot of the time isn't it yeah, and, and you know, I have other collaborators I work with, and on Super Crush I had um, like an art, like a little bit of an art team, like a small art team. So that was great that I get to like have other people I could talk to about things. But uh, largely, especially as an art director, right? You're you're kind of a lot of the the pressure falls onto you to kind of make those decisions, and so um, oftentimes it was like, oh god, I don't have anybody to talk to about this. <laughs> right. And so having a team that I can talk to about these things is really nice. It's really, really good to be able to be like, I'm thinking about this. What do you guys think? And yeah. have people to be like, yeah. yes or no about things. It's good. So, I mean, and we asked about how you start your day. I mean, we should ask, um, do you have any trouble ending your day? And do you have any ways in which you sort of work through the process of leaving your work at work and sort of moving on and going home? 
That's a good question. Um, I think it's something that I used to be really bad about, mm-hmm. especially freelancing. And I think a lot of freelancers have this problem. Oh, there's a cat. Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, cat. Sorry, just jumped into my lap. Um, uh, when I was freelancing, I had a big problem with uh, working too much. And this is going to be a big thing I talk about in my GDC talk, which is about like burnout and creative block. Mm-hmm. But um, when I, especially when I first started freelance, it was almost like a badge of honor to work too hard, you know, right. like, uh, oh, I, I worked so hard today that I forgot to eat some meals or I worked so hard today. I didn't look at the clock and now it's mm-hmm. 11 PM. And I remember like feeling so proud of myself for like, oh, I worked really hard today and having like that, like years of doing that kind of slowly burns you out and also kind of ruins your work-life balance because you get home and you're like, oh, the grocery stores are closed. I guess I'll just eat whatever. Or you're like, oh, well, <laughs> you have a hard time like decompressing and getting to bed because you're still thinking about work because you've been working all day and you have to get up in like six hours to get back at it again. Right. And like, I, I don't know, I used to be really, really bad about that. And I know a lot of people, a lot of like, not even just artists, but also programmers and writers and designers who are just as bad about that kind of stuff. And I think um, certainly uh, working at a studio that has like a rigorous nine to five makes that a lot easier. Cause it's like, okay, well I have to get this work done. And at 5 PM, you know, we all got to leave the office and it's like, okay, it's a good way for me to like, yeah, a good excuse for me to walk home and that walk and do home, a podcast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and like, just, yeah. Like just kind of stop thinking about the, the, the work you've been doing and then like, oh. you know, I'll get say, home uh, and don't jump on other projects, which I used to do a lot. Sorry, I cut you off. What's up? No, no, I'm, cu- no, I'm cutting you off. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just saying because everything that you're describing right now, like, uh, you know, I, I freelance and did contract uh, writing for, uh, you know, for game business sites for like four and a half years or five years or something. I don't know a single person who freelances anything that has good work-life balance or had good work-life balance while they were freelancing right. because it is just a thing where you're at home, you never leave work and it, you find excuses and reasons to keep on going or, uh, you know, like what, what you were saying, it's like, you also have that badge of honor thing going on, which is twisted. So once I, you, you know, I think that's very encouraging that drink box is a studio that says, you know, five o'clock and, and that's it. I think mm-hmm. that's how places should be because otherwise, you know, people can say, oh, we don't force, you know, crunch. We don't force crunch, but they also don't have management that tells people, uh, go home now or you're over hours. Now you have to yeah. go home. And that's the kind, I mean, that's, that's management support is what you have. I, that's great. Yes. A hundred percent. that's like, yeah, the, a big thing that Drinkbox seems to be very aware of and very good about, and it's excellent. It's yeah, it seems like everybody there has really, really good work-life balance, and that's something that I really appreciate, um, in general. But also for everybody else I work with, and as like a studio setting an example for other studios, it's it's really important, and um, yeah, should be standard across <laughs> yeah. everywhere. But you know, that's that's like a bigger issue, of course. So, like with with burnout, then while we're on this topic now, uh, you know. I guess I guess I'm wondering how you would recognize that in yourself in that moment because you said that you were burnt out for like a year or or you were just like had creative block or I, I'm wondering what are the signs were you able to look back at back at that retrospectively and say these were signs that I couldn't recognize in the moment oh yeah 100 percent it's um, it's really easy for me to look back at now and be like, oh yeah, that, <laughs> that is a sign. But at the time, no idea. And like, I think a lot of it was, um, you know, like, so just to kind of give some context, I'll talk about this a little bit in my GDC talk, but I'm happy to talk about it now just to kind of give some context yeah, to this. Sure. But basically after I, after we shipped a mortician's tale, um, which was a very personal game, we worked on it really, really hard for a long time. Um, I got really, I felt like super burnt out and just like unmotivated. And I think a lot of that wasn't to do with the project, but it was because I was doing art direction on two new projects. So one of them was Super Crush KO. And one of them is a project I was working on with my studio Laundry Bear. Um, Mm. And I think art directing on two game projects, pretty much like more than full time, because I was splitting like seven days, not five days. Yeah. 
I think a that's a lot of work to be doing but b you're kind of you're shifting your brain around so much right because mm-hmm. you're doing it isn't like you're like there's an existing um like art style that you're hitting and you're like okay on these three days i'm gonna do 3d art on these two days i'm gonna do 2d art it isn't like that it's more like okay i have to think of and be in the creative headspace and concept art for one game and come up with ideas for one game and do the same thing but completely different on another side and that's i think creative work um, i think any work in general like you, you there's only so much you can do before you get burnt out but i think especially creative work whether it's art or writing or whatever just like thinking of concepts for games even mm-hmm. um i think is especially tiring to like have to context switch constantly yeah and i think that burnt me out and it wasn't you know the people i was working with um the team behind super crush ko and also my co-founder neither of them were pushing me to do this this was just entirely self-imposed mm-hmm. and i think a lot of it was like I was getting very, in hindsight, it's very clear, I was getting very um, frustrated and uh, just was making a lot of really bad decisions. And I think a lot of it was I felt the pressure to, like, I have to get it right. I don't have time to to concept and think of ideas. I just have to get it right immediately. And we know that that's not the way that anything works. There's the, you know, games especially are a very iterative process. They change so much. They evolve so much over the development. And um, I, like setting up this expectation to get it perfect the first time, not realistic. Mm-hmm. And I think I was pushing myself to do it, not just for one game, but two games. And that really like messed me up. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, if I don't get it right, if this art isn't completely unique, then these games won't sell and these companies will go under and blah, blah, blah. And that sounds really like, that sounds so bizarre and so like, huge but that's kind of a lot when i talk to a lot of game developers that's kind of how they feel and i think a lot of it is just like the indie space in general is is you know it's it's very there's a lot going on right now and Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people are just kind of panicking so that panic on top of thinking about art also you know working on two things at once and just coming off of a game that was very personal i think they just kind of all added up to this burnout and i think a lot of the signs um in general are things like yeah, just feeling really frustrated, feeling really um, unmotivated. I just like didn't want to. I didn't want to work on these games at all. And I was really ex- like, in, you know, in my headspace, I was very excited about these two projects. But like, when it came down to sitting down and doing the work, I just didn't want to do it. I just mm-hmm. could not push myself to do it. And um, it's also things like I got really defensive. I was very defensive about my own art, which is something that I'm embarrassed to, embarrassed to talk about, embarrassed to admit. But I think it's important to kind of speak about because I, I see a lot of other artists go th- through the same thing where, you know, I was very defensive about like, you know, my, my co-founder would be like, oh, I, I think this art would be good. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, what's wrong with my art? <laughs> or like on Super Crush, I would make a really weird decision. And um, Moby and Fickery, who is the, the lead designer and the um, programmer and like the, the owner of Vertex Pop who makes Super Crush. Um, he he would be you know he would be like oh here's a critique of a thing and I would get very defensive about it and that's like a very clear sign if you're a person who you think that you might be burning like burnt out or you know someone who might be burnt out I think that's a huge sign is someone just getting very very defensive about the work that they're doing right and I I think a lot of it too was just like it was bleeding into my personal life as well like I was getting really I was exhausted all the time and like just so stressed and having a really hard time decompressing like it's just i think burnout i don't i don't mean to like go on and on about this because it's no. pretty sad to that's, talk that's about that's why we're here yeah <laughs> but real. like it's yeah. it, it's such a big deal and i think it's it's something you know when we think about burnout when we hear the term burnout uh especially in games we often think about you know triple a big studios forcing their their employees to work we think about i think about like rockstar that marketing (laughs) pitch where they were that article that was like oh yeah our our employees are working hundreds of hours to get red dead done like that's what you think about when you hear burnout but i think a lot of people especially indie devs we really have to consider that a lot of it is self-imposed right We're, we're putting it on ourselves without even realizing it and i think um um was it GDC that did, I think, the State of the Industry report? Yeah. Right? I think you guys were talking about that earlier. Yeah, I was about to say. One of the, thing, yeah, one of the things that um, was mentioned in there was like was talking about crunch and burnout. And um, if you feel, I think, the, I can't remember what the exact wording was, but it was something about like why you feel the need to crunch. And very, very small amount of it was like someone's forcing me to. And the very, very large amount was either like it's self-imposed 
like I feel like I need to, or I wear it as a badge of honor. Right. Like I think a lot of, I mean, that's not entirely indie devs. I could be AAA devs too, right? It but definitely is. I know a lot of indie devs that just like either they don't notice that they're doing it or they do it because they think it's like, you know, you can't be indie unless you work 16 hour days. Right. And that's just not true. And, right? and there's so and much so, more. I mean, you've talked about it, but like it, it is what you face in AAA and then some because so often you are the whole company. You are, I mean, the, the you know, you live or die based on how well your game sells. And so, like, absolutely, it is a culture of rife with overwork and with pressure to overwork. Um, do you think there's anything you could have done differently um, during the period you were burning out to sort of avert that or stave it off? I, I definitely think um, there are some things in hindsight that I could have done sooner. Um, luckily, I was able to kind of, uh, I, think, I think the burnout lasted way too long. And that, that kind of sucks in hindsight. Mm -hmm. I feel like I wasted a lot of time. Um, but... There were some things that I was able to kind of do and get support in that really helped and that kind of helped me overcome my burnout. I think my only regret is that I didn't do them or didn't know about them sooner. And again, this is a big thing I'll talk a lot about in my GDC talk, but a few of the things were things like, you know, admitting that I needed help and admitting that I wasn't feeling like motivated or excited to work on things. Right. And I think as soon as you're able to admit like, I'm not having fun doing this, your colleagues, your coworkers, whoever you're working with can kind of help you, you know? Like it's not, I don't have too much pride to ask for help or wait, I do have too much pride? I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very easy for me to ask for help. And so, you know, and that was a big thing that happened on Super Crush was Mo, um, again, the designer, the programmer, he saw that I was really like frustrated and getting defensive and kind of struggling with coming up with art. And this was pretty early on in um, the development of Super Crush. And so, and he was like, okay, you know what? Take like a couple of weeks and just walk away from this. Don't try to hit what we're doing here. Just kind of like come up with what you, like just, just kind of do what you want. Like do your own thing and come up with an art that you want to come up with. Uh, the context here is that I was having a really hard time coming up with a style for the game. Mm -hmm. And it was like, mm -hmm. it wasn't bad necessarily, the, the things I was coming up with, but they were very safe. Like, I think I was falling into some, again, some of that pressure to like, oh, I, I just need to be different. We need to be different. We need to have a different art style. And subsequently, I wasn't really making any good decisions. I was just kind of making safe decisions. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I was able to kind of walk away from the project and just like, take a mental break from the, the the game and just kind of like look at art for art's sake and start concepting things for fun. That's when I was able to kind of bring in some colorful palettes, bring in some interesting character ideas. And that's like really where the art for Super Crush came in. Um, and that was like, again, just having Mo be able, be patient enough and have the bandwidth to just give me that, that few weeks to do that. That was like, that was tremendous. That helped out a lot. Um, I think things too, like, uh, and this is a thing I didn't learn about until a couple months ago when I started working at Drinkbox, mm. but the concept lead at Drinkbox, um, Augusto Keanu, or Kusho, he is an incredible concept artist, and he came up with the concepts for both Guacamole and Severed, right? And awesome. um, something that he said to me kind of offhandedly one day was like, oh, you can't be too precious about your concept art. Mm. That's what he said. Right. And I think it was just in response to me being like, oh, I'm not very good at concept art. And he said, yeah, well, you know, it's one of those processes you can't be too precious about. And that stuck with me so much because I was like, oh, no, you're right. I have a this whole tendency to be like, I have to get it right the first time. That completely negates what the whole process of concept art is for, right? Concept art, I don't know what the, the writing equivalent is or what the programming equivalent is, but concept, uh, concept art is basically just like, sketching out as many ideas as you possibly can. Doesn't matter if they work, doesn't matter if it makes sense, you just do it. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, when you just let your brain kind of go into this creative flow and think of ideas, you're gonna have some good ideas. And it also kind of gives you, and again, working with a team of people is really easy to kind of give them concepts and have other people say, hey, I really like the direction you're going in here. And that kind of opens up the ability to do even more stuff like that. And so I kind of, I really love that. It's definitely made making concept art a lot more fun and a lot easier. And that's the way it should be. Right. And I really wish I had heard that, you know, when we were starting to concept stuff for Super Crash, because I feel like that would have made things just more fun and more easy and breezy and just, you know, would have, would have given me more motivation to actually do the thing. Yeah. 
Um, I wonder, um, it sounds like you're, uh, you're deeply passionate, not just about the work you do, but about improving that work and learning new ways to do it. Um, is there any kind of advice you would give, you know, fellow game artists who are looking to improve their artistry on sort of what you can do and, and what do you do like on a regular basis to try and, uh, get better or, you know, like broaden your skill set? Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of it is just doing it as often as you can, doing anything as often as you can, right? And that's that that sounds really simple and easy to do, but you know, when you <laughs> have a full-time job and hobbies and groceries and like errands you gotta run, sometimes that, that space fills up. Um, but just making a little bit of time every day to just draw a little bit or model a little bit or write a little bit or whatever whatever it is that you do, just doing a little bit of it every day or every other day really that practice adds up and i um last year uh, my partner bought me an ipad pro so i had like the like procreate and a pencil and i noticed that i started drawing way more often and when i look at my art and how it's evolved over the last year it's the 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 difference in my skill set is way bigger than it was the lot the previous years before that because i wasn't doing any of that stuff right mm. um and so i think just like daily practice is a really really important thing but I think part of it too is also just like, you know, um, making the effort and the time to to uh, learn new things and learn new skills. And very fortunately, we live in a time where. Whoa, hold on one second. Hey, cats! Oh my god! Oh, stop. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone okay? If, we live in a time. Hear that? <laughs> oh, just a little bit, yeah. Oh my god. We're I gonna, have two cats. We're, yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna turn the volume up on that in the uh, final edit. Great, really <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Talking about inner conflict and just have the two cats fighting over me in the background. Yeah, bring them just like, yeah. Yeah. Creative block is really hard. <laughs> Interesting analogy, cats. Jeez. Um God, what were we talking about? Talking about art. Oh yeah, just like we we live in a, a great time of everything's on the internet, you know what I mean? And so if you're like, oh, I really, I really want to improve my skills in 3D, you can, because there's so many tutorials and so many resources and Blender is free and Unity is free. Like there's so many things you can do to just learn. I think a lot of it is just committing to putting the time into doing that, you know? And um, I don't know, I think a big thing too, and this is like, <laughs> this might sound kind of out of left field, but I think a thing that's really helped me is finding hobbies and interests that are not related to games and mm. art. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing at my cat. No, it's great. I love it. <laughs> I don't even notice anymore. There's like a whole drama going on oh, back geez. there. <laughs> it's because I'm sitting at a microphone and not paying attention to them, so they're like, we gotta cause trouble. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think... Getting into hobbies uh, can really like things that are not related to games, right? And this is what I talked about earlier about getting into the office every day and like looking through art blogs and like, architecture blogs and giving you ideas of things that are outside of games is a really good idea. But I think also your personal hobbies and interests, it, it helps a lot when they're not connected to games. Because I think when we, if you're a person who is only interested in video games, it really narrows what your what your kind of like creative capabilities are, right? If you're only ever looking at what games are doing, you're not seeing what like animation or film or comics are doing. And so I think just like having interests that are not games is really important. And that can be anything. That can be sports. <laughs> it doesn't have to be visual. It doesn't have to be like writing related or whatever you do. It could just be like, you know, it could be pottery. It could be woodworking. It could be going for runs. Just anything that is outside will ultimately like let you have that creative freedom to just like do something that is different. And also, I think probably give you the headspace that you need to kind of get away from work. You know, right. when you're not thinking about work, it's kind of a rest, like resting your muscles, so that you can get back to work and really. Yeah, like, I mean that's you, yeah. you said. You said that scent would sound out of left field, but you know, I I hear game developers mostly the ones who make really interesting stuff say the same thing but you know there there was definitely a time where you know everything is like military shooter type thing and it's it's like okay this game was definitely made by a gamer you know and it's kind of like after a few decades um people kind of want something new you know 
So I, th- I think that's uh, that's totally great. Such as like if we can get back to Mortician's Tale because we're we're kind of winding down here. Uh, but I want to talk about that real quick and uh, why is it that we talk about interests outside of games, uh, death positivity and commentary on that. Uh, it's not exactly, you know, uh, you know, Halo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, where, where did that come from? And why is death positivity, positivity important to you? And why, what, what's, what's the death thing with Gabby? <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know what that is, um, death positivity is basically, uh, you know, similar to sex positivity, I guess. The idea that if we talk about a taboo thing, it makes it less taboo. And when we make things less taboo, we're able to have really open and on- honest conversations about those things. And so um, for me, death positivity is really important because it, it allows you to kind of like be more aware of what is going on um, in that industry and what's going to happen to us and our loved ones when we die. And that sounds really like <laughs> super goth and very sad. But for me, the, the importance of it is when you are able to kind of be open to talking about that kind of stuff, you can make really important decisions for yourself and for others. And that's always been, not I mean, not always, but a thing I've been really interested in for a long time. And um, I have a few friends who are <laughs> morticians, which is hilarious that like, I just kind of draw that crowd. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not a goth, but. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't seem goth, like, the stereotypical no, goth. No, yeah. not at all. I think yeah. maybe just like deep down inside, maybe there's something about me that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's just been a thing I've always been interested in. And I think just their jobs are so fascinating and and so beautiful a lot of their work has nothing to do with you know the the taking care of dead bodies it's also about supporting people and having empathy for people and um and i just think that's a really really fascinating thing and um and that's kind of what got me interested in the subject matter and like what kind of inspired me to make this game about it. Um, but also, you know, like uh, I had a podcast for a little while about death in video games, kind of my two worlds mm-hmm. colliding. Yeah. <laughs> and also uh, a big reason why I wanted to work for Drinkbox is because their games are so death positive, right? Like Guacamelee yeah. is such a beautiful, beautiful game. Um, and Severed is one of my favorite games ever. It like really uh, subverts the expectations of like what it means to kind of collect things. And um, yeah, I don't know, it's just like, yeah. What, what, did you, what did you notice about death like in video games and how, like give us a little like taste of what we would hear on, on your podcast about <laughs> death in video games. Cause I'm interested, like uh, there's, I'm sure there's got, you've probably found a lot of stuff to say about it. There's a lot of death in video games. There sure is. And I think, I think a lot of it too, um, I don't really have anything all that profound to say about it, but a lot of it is you can really tell when someone has experienced a loss in their life or whose culture is a lot more open to talking about death and loss and grief. Because when I interview someone, like I, like a long time ago, before I was working at Drinkbox, I interviewed Kosho Kihano, again, who's the, um, the, the concept lead at Drinkbox. And he talked about uh, guacamole and Mexican culture and folklore as a person who's from Mexico. And you can really tell that this is a, like a subject matter that he's comfortable with. Mm. And a lot of the people I talk to on my podcast, um, you know, like the team behind Edith Finch, um, like very, obviously very, very, very comfortable with talking about it. And you can really see that in their games is it's they don't shy away from it they're really open um death is often like very beautifully showcased whereas there's been a few developers and i won't say who they are but when i talk to them about death it's very clearly like ah yes it is a thing that happens and we put it in our game mechanically for these reasons like they are very clearly don't have that experience and um maybe don't have that comfort with the subject matter and that's fascinating to me and i'll never call them out on it because it's totally understandable to feel that way especially like in western culture we're really really quiet about that kind of stuff and we don't talk about as much but it's so fascinating to see you know like the the personal stuff behind each game and you know like i would love to and i don't do the podcast anymore but I really wanted to talk to the Outer Wilds team because that game is like, mm-hmm. they do such cool things with death, right? And I, I, I really want to like <laughs> just speak with them about it and their experiences with it because I get the impression that at least one person on that team has some really, like, you know, has some experience with that. And that's really fascinating to me. So Time to relaunch the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll listen to it. <laughs> coincidentally, and, uh, you know, not, not to totally get off of video games here, but, like, coincidentally, this morning I was listening to 
uh, I think it was like This American Life, and it was about uh, the whole episode was about digging and like what you know you can you know find digging, and one of the one of the segments was about how and, and I didn't know this. Um, maybe everyone knows this, but me. But in Greece, they run out of land to bury people, and they don't really cremate much out there. Mm-mm. So after like three years or so, the family <clears throat> the family comes and they exhume uh, their relative, and it followed. Uh, I think that she worked uh, like she works at NPR or something. Um, but she went back to Greece to meet her father, who was digging his mom up. So her grandma. So by the time they get there, uh, the dad is just kind of like, uh, kind of freaking out, understandably. Yeah. And uh, saying stuff like, I hope that, you know, mom is totally decomposed by the time we, uh, by the time we dig her up. And then they do. And then there's a very specific process of how they uh, dig the people up, uh, like from the head to the toe. Fascinating. That's yeah. Cool. Yep. And then they just like take the skull out, um, and then they put them in boxes. Uh, when when they die, they wear socks so that they know that they got to the end of the body. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And then yeah. they uh, yeah. And then they put them uh, clean up, put in them boxes. Like so, the guy's mom is in back in the in the shed and in, in boxes that were blessed, you know. Um, and then that's that's how they handle death. I mean, and, and at the end of it, it was really cool because he was very nervous uh, and kind of afraid of what, what it's going to be like. But um, their whole family felt more at peace. Yeah, that's uh, understandable. Yeah, after going through that process. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. That's really beautiful. And I, there's so many different ways that different cultures handle it that are just so just so beautiful and so hands-on and I really wish that was a big part of uh, Mortician's Tale was just it's very um, western focused you know you you make what you know and all of us are based here in Toronto Canada so we, we just kind of went off of what the western death process is and so Mortician's Tale is very much about that like how you know cold and <laughs> mm-hmm. there's just like no interaction between us and our and our dead and that's you know, and hearing stories like that is really, I, I'm a little bit envious. Like, I wish that we had experiences like that and were able to kind of take care of our own. And that's really cool. That's really neat. Alex, I want you to dig out my body <laughs> after uh, three years. Are you sure what's on the record? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep, keep me in the uh, in your shed if you have one by then. If not, I'll take the, uh, the kitchen or something. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. On that note, I think uh, thanks so much for joining us. This has been like completely <laughs> fascinating. I'm glad that we got an, an artist on here too. Uh, you, you know, and just talking about the process and creativity. And I think that a lot of people think that uh, you know you just go to your desk, get drink box, and start doodling until something good comes out. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Probably not how it, we found out. That's not how it works. <laughs> not always. Yeah. Yeah. Not always. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks again for having me and also my cats on your podcast. Yeah, I, I do feel like we <laughs> yeah, should ask absolutely. for their names for crediting purposes. Oh, um, one of them's named Bastion mm-hmm. after, you know, the Overwatch character. Mm-hmm. And one of them's Meredith. And I could go on for hours with my cats, so maybe I should that's, leave. That, that's the next podcast. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, we'll make sure to give them uh, proper credit there. So thanks again and best of luck with everything. Thank you. Yeah, have a good one. I can't believe that you agreed to exhume my body. Hey, man, that's what I'm here for. Uh, that's what that's what being colleagues at GDC means. It means it means are, ride or die. Yeah. <laughs> ride, die, and dig. <laughs> yep, that's what it is. They call it the old RDD. Man, we just talked about so much death, and I've been playing so much Death Stranding, and it just is on a whole nother level. Um, it's like really not even relevant to the conversation of meaningful death rights but i don't know how much death is in actually in death stranding i mean you 3d print roads out of death so there's like a lot of it (laughs) they crisscross america (laughs) do you consider that death positive 
I think it really is a very death positive game. I don't know if it really. I don't know what it's trying to say about death. It's not as good as Mort- a Mortician's Tale. <laughs> it's, it's too it's too high high concept for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm more like, of a Mortician's Tale uh, kind of guy. Now Kojima, he was like pretty uh, like Metal Gear Solid Three. It was three, right? Mm-hmm. You walk down the uh, the stream, and then you see all the ghosts of the soldiers. Oh there. yeah, the sorrow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you actually you actually addressed like all the death that you uh, you know made happen. Yeah, yeah, he did. But also, if you happen to have killed one of those poor souls by shooting them in like a really private place, they would have like a really silly animation when they were walking down that really somber. <laughs> river so it's hard to take it terribly seriously hey just being real Alex. that's just video games i guess yeah it absolutely is video games <laughs> <laughs> anyway gabby great great guest uh her cats yeah also um, phenomenal guests top 10 for sure at least i would say at least as good as gabby was um i don't know that's tough that's tough better well, than I mean, me i, w- sure. I would have I would have I would have placed Gabby a lot further up the scale compared to her cats mm-hmm. if it weren't for that uh, little uh, fight that they got into that really sold the drama for me. Yeah, I was gonna say that was the high point of my podcast, but uh, you're right. I'll take that into consideration. Anyway, how do you how do you I title like, these? Is there, do we have to like come up with a fun catchphrase? They're gonna be like a fun kick somewhere. We'll we'll fi- we'll find yeah. out. Yeah, we'll surprise people i guess that they'll know by now probably oh, i guess they would uh what what we title the podcast I wish they'd tell us yeah what were the cats names again yo gabby gabby was my favorite that's probably too much no. though no anyway <laughs> let's 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 uh let, let's talk about something real quick before we go uh gdc did release we mentioned it during the podcast uh that the earth we're still this is still the podcast yeah earlier in the podcast yeah i didn't want to draw um, focus away but yeah the state of the industry report is out uh and it is real hot we have tons and tons of uh, exclusive data yeah. yeah that you're going to want to check out if you go to gdconf.com there's a bunch of stuff i think we recently just highlighted the fact that there uh was a lot of conversation in this year's survey about sort of like new stuff like especially subscription services and the epic game store and all that kind of stuff and uh we got a lot of interesting uh, feedback from the devs and other professionals we surveyed. I think we ran this little story today. Uh, check it out if you have time. It's all about how um, when we asked, yeah, I think there's like nearly 4,000 people we survey every year for this. And we asked them like, how do you feel about uh, subscription services? You know, let's talk about it. Like Xbox uh, Game Pass, like your Apple Arcade, that kind of stuff. Like, uh, is it going to devalue individual games? And uh, what we got back was really interesting and mixed. It was not a strong yes or no. It was a lot of confusion and a lot of like um, concern from our uh, survey respondents. And it's really interesting. So you should go out and get that report. It's uh, it's available right now for free. So uh, go download it. It's on Alex. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's free. It's subsidized. It's on me. As many copies as you want. Alex's salary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's great. Yeah. Hi- highly... Uh, Highly recommend checking that out. Uh, GDC State of the Industry Survey. How do you feel about game subscription services, Chris? Are you still on Apple Arcade? Um, are they are they sponsoring this podcast? Absolutely not. Okay, then no. I actually, <laughs> I actually canceled it. But I'm trying to be better with my budget. Uh, but I'm probably gonna re up it at some point. I am a uh, an Xbox Live game games pass game pass oh you got version. a games pass i do a rare with games the pc pass. with the pc mm. yeah so i am just drowning in video games <laughs> that this is one thing with with subscriptions is that there's you get so many games and it's the same thing with my like kindle unlimited you're just you have so many choices that you just end up not playing games or not not reading anything yeah. I mean, I eventually play something, but it's about like three seconds of a game, and then I close the game, yeah. open another one, play that. That's not really hitting the spot. Close that, open another one, yeah. Until do that ten more times, and then you just open up Netflix and watch 
Do it all I'll be over again for the millionth time. <laughs> yeah, see, this is the problem with smorgasbords. Like, not to take it back, but like you have all these options on front of you. You have like a, an array of just mouth-watering choices, and you just can't take mm-hmm. any of them. You just got to take a What's couple of and leave. What is on a real Swedish smorgasbord? Yeah, this is how we stay in such good shape. Is we have these just tables full of mouth-watering dried fish and flatbreads, and we just we can't pick. We can't. Can't eat any of them. It seems salty. Yeah, <laughs> is that can't be that good for you. I mean, you know, you look fit. Yeah, but how healthy are you, Alex? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's all sodium. That's literally that's all that keeps me alive <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Death positivity. Mm-hmm. You are preserved mm-hmm. by all of the. <laughs> you're just mummified by all of the salted fish that you've been eating. Yeah. See, I, I wonder if anyone's still listening to this anymore. Oh, who can say? See, yeah. I have the opposite problem with you, which is where I am not watching my budget and I'm still on all these services because I only play one to two video games a year and that is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, when you talk about games like... You say that. You say you only play one or two video games a year, mm-hmm. but you play a ton of video games. Okay, but so far this year, I've only played one to two video games. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. If you're still there, if you made it with us to the end, Congratulations you win a free year of Apple Arcade. No, you don't actually. But you do win a free uh, copy of the GDC 2020 State of the Industry Report. Download it right now, today, at gdconf.com. Smorgasbord of data. Mm. All right. That's all for this week, then. Uh, check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, I think we need to upload the last one yet. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid of YouTube commenters. So uh kind of been... Uh, dragging my feet on that one but if you like what you heard like and subscribe yes please thanks everybody thanks alex Bye. bye